You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of KCSN Update. What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? Welcome to this special episode of KCSN Update. I'm BJ Kissel, and we are hanging out with the lead NFL draft writer for Pro Football Focus and the host of the NFL Stock Exchange, along with his co-host Connor Rogers, talking to Trevor Sykema from PFF. Trevor, it's been a little bit. You're back by popular demand. We had so many people reach out like, you know what? We need to get Trevor back on here consistently. So uh, you're welcome, everybody who is listening that uh, reached out and really appreciated uh, your last appearance. Well, that's good. I'm glad that my mom has created enough burner accounts to flood y'all's YouTube comments and replies. No, I appreciate everybody's sense of kind words about uh, uh, liking when I get to link up with BJ. Anytime I feel like he gets to come on the show, we have a great football conversation that I enjoy just as much as hopefully y'all enjoy as well. So uh, anytime, BJ, it's always great to be back. Awesome, man. Well, obviously, Chiefs have a big one. It's one of the premier matchups on the NFL regular season schedule, and it just happens to be in Frankfurt, Germany, which is kind of surprising in and of itself. As as a non-Chiefs fan, just as an NFL, obviously, um, insider, analyst, all the things that you do covering the NFL, is it surprising to you that we have a, a marquee matchup like this in Germany? Because most of the time it's not two of the best teams in the AFC that one of these could likely be representing the AFC. Yeah, and it feels like this is the direction the NFL has been going, right? I think for a long time, certainly when the Jacksonville Jaguars were a lot worse than they are now, pre-Trevor Lawrence days, it felt like it was like, oh, uh, games in England? I guess it's going to be the Jags versus whoever else is bad in the NFL. And they put a lot of those um, not desirable, I should say, matchups yeah. over in, in London. And it feels like every single year, not only are we getting more games overseas, we're getting better games overseas. And this is absolutely one of the best games that we're going to have this entire season. I mean, this whole Sunday slate is awesome. But even before, you know, the Dolphins hung 70 points on the Denver Broncos earlier this year, you knew that this matchup was going to be huge with with the potent offensive possibilities that the Dolphins have and Fangio being on the defensive side, them taking it up a year at notch. And then, of course, it is the Kansas City Chiefs. So, they specifically selected this one as a primetime game to happen at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time and a lot a lot earlier for people on the, uh, the, the West Coast as well. And I think they did that on purpose. I think it's yeah. because we're getting to a point where we're going to have a lot more games overseas, man. It's very clear that the NFL wants this game to be worldwide. And I don't know if we're ever going to get the point to the point where we have a team over in Europe or hell, even a divi- like a whole division, right? I've thought about that too before. Like if, if, if they were to expand the NFL from um, four different divisions in each conference, instead you go five and four of those teams might be over in Europe and the other four might be back in the States, you basically would create a scheduling opportunity to where a team could basically like have a European trip where they're not going back and forth. It's almost like, oh, you're going over to Europe and you're playing all of the teams over in this division or schedule. I, sure. I think there's there's a lot of that's a treetops thing. There's a lot of logistics that would go into that. But just to answer your yeah. question, I'm not really shocked that it's going in 
this direction of having real great primetime games over there because I think they are going to push the envelope every year with how global they can take the game of football. Yeah, and I know it's huge for the team. They've, they've done a lot. And I know it's the weird thing with NFL teams. A lot of them will promote, like, we have the the marketing rights within these, you know, areas. And the Chiefs got, like, the German like area. And I'm not going to pretend to know all the details of it. But it's interesting because they, they promote that. And I know it's good for the game. It's good for the brand. It's weird to promote that to Chiefs fans locally. So what does that what does that have to do? Anything to do with us? But right. it is interesting when you bring up putting an entire division there, whether it's there, even Mexico, uh, and like the, we played the, the Chiefs played the game in Mexico City right. years ago, and right. logistically might make things a little bit easier. Um, and I would not hesitate to start the Cabo San Lucas Sports Network. We will go down there. <laughs> we, will, we will cover everything that you want to know about this local sports scene in Cabo San Lucas. If somebody's got to do it. We'll go down. Yeah. and take care of it. No, it's it's, but it's it, it's exciting, and I think that you see a lot of that excitement paired with flag football coming into the Olympics, right? And, and that's just it, it, it's all a part of this movement and initiative to grow this game as much as possible. So, yeah, I don't know exactly what the future holds. I don't know how quickly they would get to expanding the league into more international borders, but I know that they're going to continue to move it as much as possible. And when you look at the I guess money-making capitalist view of it. Not that it's it's yeah. not that the audience in America is totally tapped, but you can't yeah. not know football now in America, right? And so basically, anybody who is interested in the game of football already has all the means to become a fan and to buy merch and to buy tickets here in America. Whereas a lot of places in Europe, a lot of places in Mexico, a lot of places in Canada, like that is totally untapped and. If we know anything about the NFL and NFL owners, they're uh, they're always going to be looking to make a little bit more money, no matter what. So I think that's more, more, more. Driving. Need more people. So good stuff. Let's get into this matchup between the Chiefs and Dolphins on Sunday, Trevor. Uh, just what's your your key matchup? We've been talking about this locally. We have our storylines that we've all been talking about that I know we'll get into. But what's the the one thing you're looking forward to when you flip this game on early, um, on Sunday morning? Yeah, I, I think Chiefs offensive line versus um, the. Miami Dolphins defensive line is going to be a big one for me because it feels like the Chiefs have been sort of middle of the pack, maybe top half of the NFL in a lot of these areas when it comes to pressures allowed and sacks. You know, seven sacks allowed on the season that's tied for sixth least in the NFL. That's a really great number. Obviously, when you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who is such a great escape artist, it helps. But still, you got to give some props to the big boys as well. When it comes to pressure percentage uh, in our system, 26.2 pressure percentage, that's 16th in the league, so that's right around the the, the middle mark. That's why I said a lot of their numbers are either kind of right in the middle of the pack of those 32 teams or they're slightly in the top half. So that's the direction that you want to be going in. So the offense, you're talking about the Chiefs offensive line allowing pressure percentage at 26.2? Yes. Okay. yes. Because yes. last year, I believe that was that was the other end of the spectrum. Because I remember talking with you last year about how amazing it was that Patrick Mahomes was like the most pressured quarterback, but the least sacked quarterback. And that that was just another way to kind of... Um, illustrate contextually via the analytics and the stats you guys have and how impressive he is at getting away from pressure inside the pocket or getting outside the pocket. Yeah, now I'm very curious and I'm pulling it up right now. I'm trying to see what their pressure percentage was last year because it felt like, yeah, when I was on the show every single Friday, it was like, all right, what's the key matchup? Well, you know, one of the key matchups is going to be because they still can't Landon Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley (laughs) here are the two tackles. And they got better towards the end of the year, so I don't know where they ended up, but I know there were times in which we were talking during the year that you, I remember your face just being like, holy cow, like he's getting pressured all the time, but not getting brought down. 
let's see, pressure percentage. Okay, I got to pull up here. What is it? They were, where is this? Oh, so they ended the year actually right around the same, like 26 really? or 24%. So they actually ended the year pretty much the same. But yeah, the first half of that first half of that season wasn't very good. So anyways, that's, yeah, the pressure percentages that, um, that they're going off of this year, which is pretty good. It's a pretty good mark. Again, I think the Chiefs really struggled at the beginning of last year, got more towards that average part of the NFL. That's where they are right now. Dolphins defensive line and how often they get pressure is a lot under Vic Fangio. And it's really talented defense. They got 26 sacks as a team. It's third most in the NFL. They have a pass rush win percentage of 46.9 as a team. That's seventh in the NFL. And then their 162 total pressures is sixth in the NFL. So they are top 10 in every single category and they're top three in total sacks. So this is a group that not only gets pressures consistently, but also finishes in the backfield. And I think there's a big difference when you talk about going up against Patrick Mahomes is you can find a lot of teams that get a ton of pressure. Well, Patrick Mahomes deals with pressure all the time. He escapes it all the time, and he's phenomenal under pressure. That's how he's been his entire career. The teams that can really, I think, put the Chiefs behind the eight ball or at least make things more difficult than they are against other opponents is when you finish in the backfield. And and not every team that's great at pressure has those guys that win quickly enough to truly finish the play in the backfield, get a tackle for loss, get a sack, and uh, I think the Dolphins have that group of players. They play with so much team speed. We talk about the team speed on the offensive side of the ball, but defensive team speed, it, it, it's there as well. It's a total team philosophy, and, and you're definitely seeing that this year. I think um, an, an added point of all of this is um, Jalen Ramsey. Obviously, he gets the interception in his first game back with him being healthy, but I looked at Ramsey and the addition to him on this defense as a true chess piece. I'm very curious to see how... Vic Fangio deploys him this week because you've got a lot of other players in Miami's secondary that could occupy the outside corner spot, the 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 slot corner spot, the both the, the two deep safety spots where there's strong safety or free safety, whatever. And you could almost use Jalen Ramsey however it is most advantageous for you week in and week out, which is a it's it, when we talk about chess pieces like that's a queen, you know, like that is that is an unbelievable luxury that you have as one of the best secondary players to kind of like give him that freedom to use his instincts in the right way. So how they are getting pressure on the pocket, how often they are, how quickly they are against the Chiefs, I think will go a long way into where you might see Jalen Ramsey lined up as the game goes on. So my matchup to watch for is definitely the Chiefs offensive line versus a stout and fast Dolphins defensive line and just overall pressure unit. But then the side story of that, is how that allows them to use Jalen Ramsey in coverage uh, to be more of a spy, to have more of a one-on-one responsibility, whatever it's going to be. And we'll talk here in a little bit about the the Chiefs wide receivers group. Um, and there are a lot of studs in the secondary for the Miami Dolphins, and you're going up against a lot of young receivers that haven't proven to be able to beat even anyone they've played, let alone a secondary like they're going to face uh, with the Dolphins. All It's a group that has struggled at different times. One of the conversations, and I know some of the storylines coming out is, Every once in a while, we see an Andy Reid game where he does actually rely on the running. He's just, you know what, we're going to go out and run the football in this game. And I'm curious if this might be one of those matchups with Isaiah Pacheco, which would put even more on the offensive line against the Chiefs offensive line against the the Dolphins defensive line, like you just mentioned. So uh, interesting stuff there. Now let's flip to the other side of the ball. I know a lot of Chiefs fans, obviously the conversation about Tyreek Hill and leaving here, especially with the struggles the Chiefs have had with the young wide receivers so far this season and the passing game and the deep passing game not being there the same way. But 
uh, at least for me personally, I don't feel like enough conversation for myself uh, has been about this Dolphins running game and the success that they've had and how much maybe bigger of an impact that could have than necessarily the one player in Tyreek Hill that you have to absolutely have to account for. He's going to run through bracket coverage. He can do all those things that we already know about. But it's the running Dolphins running game that really has been probably the reason that they've been as explosive and as successful as they've been. Yeah, if facing the Dolphins every week is kind of like, all right, Hill's going to get his. We just got to make sure that the other guys around him, you know, don't beat us too bad. And the run game has been extremely impressive for the Miami Dolphins. Their investment into athleticism has shown out in a major way. You know, we at PFF and a lot of people out there, not we're not the only ones to do this, but we always prioritize the the offensive line when it comes to run games because offensive line often matters most to rushing production. And it is incredible how dominant the Dolphins ball carriers have been at those individual statistics that you can somewhat separate from the offensive line. Okay. Rush grade, they are first as a team in the NFL. Yards after contact, which of course like take a little bit of the offensive line out of it because you're getting contact. It's not like you're rushing clean from a good block. You have to take contact. Rush yards after contact, they are first in the NFL. And then missed tackles forced, which is simply a ball carrier being a playmaker. That doesn't necessarily have to do much with the offensive line. That is another individual statistic. Also first. So they are first in rush grade, first in yards after contact, first in missed tackles forced as a team. Their offensive line is actually only the 23rd highest graded run blocking unit in the NFL right now. So it's not like the Dolphins offensive line has just been so dominant and that's why Miami has a great run game. It's truly the athletes that they are throwing the ball to in the backfield that are being able to um, be very, very effective. Obviously losing Devon Achan is, has been a big blow for them as a, a major playmaker, but what Raheem Mostert has been is just absolutely astounding. I mean, his rushing grade is about as high as it can get. Uh, this far into a season. He has been unbelievable. The Dolphins offensive line, it looks like they're going to get Teron Armstead back, who is their best offensive lineman, no question about it. It looks like Connor Williams is going to be able to give it a go, who is their second highest graded offensive lineman. They're going to be out Robert Hunt, who would be their third highest graded offensive lineman, but certainly having those two guys ahead of him makes a big difference. And with that being the case, I think that what you said is correct. The Chiefs have to focus in on that. They have to be big on it because you know they're going to make plays in the passing game. It's just the way the Miami Dolphins are. It's hard to expect that you're going to pitch a shutout against the guys like Jalen Waddle, guys like Tyree Kill, uh, with two, with two at Tungle by Lowe throwing them the football. But if you can contain them in the run game, it makes it certainly easier to keep up with them on the scoreboard. I think that missed tackles in the run game is going to be really, really key. You can now, when you have the opportunity to go get these guys and get them on the ground, when you got them between the shoulders, bring them down. Do not let them do what they have done so many times already this season, which is force those missed tackles. Chiefs, their bottom half of the NFL in, in missed tackles that they have this year against the run. So it has to be one of their better days that they have had so far this season. They've got to make sure that they are not letting missed tackles turn two or three yard runs into nine, 10, 11, 12, whatever it is, yard runs. And so that is, it, it, it seems like a very simple way to view going up against another team, but the Dolphins athletes specifically make it paramount that you are fundamental in how you are set up and run defense and how you are tackling. Yeah, we talked about it before, just Nick Bolton not being there and Willie Gay 
Jr. being banged up, that second level of the Chiefs defense can have some new faces. And I've said, you know, multiple times since they signed him that Drew Tranquil was my favorite offseason sign. I think Charles Menehu was going to make the biggest impact because mm-hmm. of his athleticism playing with Chris and the stunts and the things that they can do with the attention that Chris Jones gets. But outside of that, Drew Tranquil, a one-year $4 million deal, was an absolute steal for the Chiefs. And I have no idea where he's graded. I have no idea where he falls on all the analytics. I got to say that that guy's made enough plays and showed the kind of athleticism the Chiefs had been missing at that linebacker spot, in my opinion, making the kind of plays. I'm not comparing him as a player. He's not Derek Johnson. But you've got a guy that can sort through the trash and make a tackle out near the line, out near like the sideline, chasing down some of those outside zones where he can get out there and make the play. Uh, I don't love hearing about the missed tackles for us because the one thing that we know Nick Bolton can do is tackle. If he has got you sized up, you're going down. He doesn't miss a lot of tackles. Um, that being said, Drew Tranquil, it seems like, is going to be another player that's going to be focused and going to be a big one for him going up against the Dolphins running game. Tranquil leads the team right now in solo stops. So that is a, that, you know, it's, it, it's a, a solo stop is, is categorized as like something that leads to an offensive failure, right? So if you are making a solo tackle around the line of scrimmage on first down, okay, like that is, that is a, that is a offensive failure. Or even if it's, even if it's like one yard, like if it's first and 10 and you tackle him one or two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, that is technically categorized as like, what would be an offensive failure? You are not gaining yeah. enough yards. So yeah. That that is it, it's kind of a contextual stat and I like it a lot. And Drew Tranquil does lead the team in that category. So I think my favorite thing to have you on is me just thinking of stats in the moment and be like, Hey, look this look this up real quick. What, what do we got here? It's good for me because it's training. You know, this is still only my third year with PFF and I'm trying to make sure I'm good. Like, oh, he's saying this. Okay, these are the filters that I could put up and I can actually answer that question live on the show. I got another one for you. Uh, what what kind of analytics do you got for tackling DBs? I don't know where Trent McDuffie ranks as a cornerback with his tackling. Okay. Because that's going to be another, the DB's tackling. And the Chiefs DB's, the reason the Chiefs defense has been as good as it is, is that all three levels have played well. There's not a a, a weak link there. Uh, they're banged up, obviously. We just got done talking about the linebacker. Mm-hmm. But their safeties, their DB, you can't play DB for Steve Spagnuolo come up and tackle. We've seen Trent McDuffie uh, make some Big, I don't say big-time plays because in the moment, watching live, it's not a highlight hit. It's not a tackle for loss. Yeah, there are times where he is saving a lot of yardage uh, by getting off blocks and making tackles on backs out on the outside. Yeah, so Trent McDuffie uh, leads the, all cornerbacks on the Chiefs with 18 solo stops on the team. God, that might be, that actually might be second on the team to uh, to Drew Tranquil. Um he has an 11% missed tackle percentage, which might seem high to people out there. It's it's not really that high, especially when you look at how it's only a 4% when it's versus a pass. So, you know, if it's he's somebody who they're doing a swing pass to the outside or there's somebody who's coming out his way, basically any sort of situation where the other team says, hey, we're going to dare your corner to go tackle us. Um, I think that he's been really stout in that regard. So he's got two tackles for loss or tackles for no gain this season. And like I said, those 18 solo stops, that is by far the most of anybody at the cornerback position for the Chiefs. All right. I love love to hear all of that. And we're going to take a quick break right now. We'll come back with Trevor Sikama and get his thoughts on this matchup and on the storyline that has been taking over locally, and that is the Chiefs' young wide receivers. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. 
It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends at Manscaped have been working day and night to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra, featuring the Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. We're talking about a next-generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code KCSN. High tech for low places with Manscaped. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you look forward to the holidays? Maybe you struggle with the seasonal blues as days start to get colder and shorter here in Kansas City. And this time of year can be a lot and it's natural to feel some sadness or some anxiety about it. But I think something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change. Something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything that's going on. It's a helpful learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries that empowers you to be the best version of yourself as well. And it isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash KCSN to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash KCSN. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back to this special episode of KCS and Update. I'm BJ Kissel, and we are hanging out with Pro Football Focus's Trevor Sikama. He is the lead NFL draft writer and the host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast alongside Connor Rogers. Uh, Trevor, we just got done talking about a lot of storylines going into this game. We haven't talked about the one that has been dominating uh, here locally, and that is the Chiefs' young wide receivers and just the Chiefs' passing game outside of Travis Kelsey. And that who deserves a lot of the attention? And I would say blame at this point, because I think there was no doubt that even going into the offseason that the young wide receivers in this passing game was a huge storyline. And that you lose Juju Smith-Schuster as a veteran, not saying he put up huge numbers, but caught some high leverage, high big time moments. Mm. They would go to him for some first downs. And they had a lot of young guys that they were kind of counting on that development. We still may see it. And they're in the middle of that development right now just hasn't got to where we expect it to be with some of the younger players. Uh, again, as somebody who hasn't necessarily uh, followed the storylines as closely as we have, from your perspective, what do you see with the Chiefs wide receivers in the passing game, again, outside of the greatest tight end to ever play the game? Yeah, um, 
I, disappointed is the word that that comes to my mind. You know, the they draft a guy like Sky Moore, who I really liked uh, coming out of college. I felt like he was going to be a really impactful player, and he just not that there haven't been good moments, but it feels like you know there've been too many mental mistakes, some key drops. You know, just not having that chemistry, not getting open the way that he should. Uh, he has been a, a slow burn that I don't think has been a high return on investment for them yet. On the flip side, I do like what I've seen from Rasheed Rice, but it's. It's kind of crazy that, and I have these up right now, Rasheed Rice is currently getting 26% of a threat percentage, which is like a wide receiver usage number, basically how often he is being targeted when he runs a route. So one out of every four routes he he runs, he is getting a target. So he's about at 26% to give people a barometer, the highest in the league like the wide receiver ones Travis Kelsey for example they're a little bit over 30 it's anywhere from 30 to 33 percent those are like the wide receiver ones the guys you build the passing offenses around and for Rasheed Rice to already be at 26 percent that's pretty dang high yeah. and you could say on one side of the coin if you want to look at a glass half full wow awesome by Rasheed Rice you know he's coming into his own they're clearly trusting him a lot as a rookie already that's great the fact that he is getting that kind of attention already to me not only speaks of how good Rice is playing, which again is a positive way to look at it, but I also think that the other guys on the team aren't taking targets away from him. And that is a little bit more worrisome to me because when you look at players um, players like Sky Moore, who I mentioned, uh, obviously like Marcus Valdez-Scaling as well, he leads the team in total receiving snaps and yet he only has a 56.1 PFF grade this year. So just like not an impactful PFF grade. That's that's the one for me. I've spent this week talking about, it seems like a lot of people are talking about Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, Justin Watson enters the conversation at that point because he's probably the most trustworthy guy that Patrick Bones has to throw the ball deep. Uh, when he's going to give a receiver a one-on-one chance down the field, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's been Justin Watson. But Marquez Valdez-Scantling is the one for me because he's the one getting $8.5 million. He's the fourth highest paid player on the Chiefs roster with base salary this year. He's the one that should be, if we're looking to blame or be like, hey, somebody needs to step up and make plays. Right. The guy getting paid. Look at the guy who's been in the league for six years uh, that's taking 65% or 55% of the cap space amongst Chiefs wide receivers. The Chiefs spent $20 million in cap space. They have $20 million dedicated in cap space to wide receivers. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is $11 million of it. And I so, can't, you know, I, I can't pretend to have watched every snap of MVS, so I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm looking at his threat percentage as well. I mentioned the best in the league, the wide receiver ones, top passing option guys, they're somewhere around 30%. She Rice had 26%. Marquez Valdez-Scanling is at 9.2%. He has, he has the most receiving snaps on this team, and they are not getting him the football. They're not targeting him. So... Again, I haven't watched the film on MBS to say, okay, are they just using him as a decoy every time? Is he not getting off press coverage? Is he not getting that separation? Because no matter what it is, you got to be getting more than 9.2% of the looks thrown your way. So, and it's that's that is another one that's uh, that is definitely worrisome. I'm curious, did you expect them to be? more of buyers at the receiver position at the deadline with with so many different kind of wide receivers that were I guess not really that available but in, yeah. in the conversation not necessarily uh and not, my logic could be flawed and I understand I'm making a lot of assumptions uh here especially with 
regard to what can Andy Reid do with the receiver who's never played in his system because uh, you open it up to that. Otherwise, you're looking at Juju. He's got two years left on his deal and a bad knee, mm-hmm. um, which it's more than just trading for a half a season of a guy. Um, McCole Hardman brought back, but McCole Hardman, despite the success that he's had in Kansas City, was never uh, going to attack you at all three levels of a defense, which is what the Chiefs need at a wide receiver right now. They need somebody that can do a lot of different things. I think McCole was more brought in because Kadarius Tony hasn't had the same kind of success running those packaged end around jet sweeps, those bubble screens, all the things around the line of scrimmage that made McColl who he was. And that was the last couple of years with McColl. That was most of his production. Kadarius Tony seems to be reading blocks incorrectly. Uh, there was a one that we focused on, uh, excuse me, from uh, the game a couple of weeks ago where it's perfectly blocked, perf- perfectly set up. And Tony tries to take it outside and you see all the linemen react like that's not where this play is designed to go. Hmm. So I saw the McColl trade more as get more out of those plays because it's not happening with Tony. And so to trade for a player that hadn't been in this system, I know from talking with the players in the past about how difficult it is to pick up Andy Reid's offensive system and to learn the playbook. And so midseason, best bet, you're going to get packaged plays. You're going to get, you're going to trade for a guy. He's going to get, these are the 15 plays that you know. Well, sometimes in crunch time, when you're making adjustments mid game and so much is option routes, you're going to take this 10 yard route and you're going to cut it at six yards because you're reading X. Mm-hmm. Whatever that, I'm not going to pretend to know in every situation what those are, but I know how much of those types of things go into this offense. And if Patrick Mahomes doesn't trust the guys that he's had all offseason to break off a route early where he has to let the ball go before that break is made, and if he doesn't trust that, that player is going to do the right thing because they haven't consi- consistently showed that, I don't know what drafting or, excuse me, trading for a player midseason is going to look like in that regard. Yes, you may get a more talented player. That doesn't mean that Patrick Mahomes is going to trust him enough to let a ball go early and just trust right. that he's going to be in the right spot because he hadn't worked with him. He didn't trust sure. the guys who have been there. Right. So I understand both sides of it. it was like, well, he didn't trust the guys who's been there. Try somebody new. They're giving up more draft resource. They gave up a draft pick for McCole Hardman. They gave up a draft pick for Neil Farrell. Granted, they're late round picks, but they've already given up draft compensation for these guys. So yeah, I'm not a- terribly surprised. But I was one of the guys going back to this offseason saying, I don't care if it's Odell Beckham. I don't care if it's DeAndre Hopkins. They need another dude in there because you're putting a lot of pressure on Sky Moore, Rashi Rice, Justin Watson, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. All of those guys needed to be better than they've ever been for the Chiefs offense to function the way that it needs to for them to threaten the AFC. Right. just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and and that kind of seems like where they're at, right? When you look at this team and you look at the numbers or you look at the film, they're missing that dude. Like, they're missing a wide receiver one. You have Travis Kelsey, who you could basically say is a wide receiver one, but you know, he'll play in line, he'll play in the slot. He is he is a versatile focal point, no doubt about it, but ideally you would want two of those players on the field at the same time because it just doesn't feel like... And it's the Chiefs, and it's Mahomes, and it's Kelsey, and it's Reed, and so, like, they're, they're kind of... They're going to win plenty of football games. They're yeah. they're sitting here at six and two. It's not like it's not like they're absolutely terrible out here. But like you mentioned, when it comes to playoff time, when it comes to winning those three games in a row against some increasingly better opponents, I I think it is easy to see that if they had another one of those top wide receiver options, it would make things look like the Chiefs of old or yeah. close to what this offense has been when it's been fully clicking under Patrick Mahomes in the past. Yeah, I think it's 
and it's again with Andy Reid, you're not going to get one player. You're not going to get the J- Jamar Chase where a guy's getting targeted 15, 16 times in a game. Andy Reid, they don't have offenses. That's never really been a thing uh, with Andy Reid. They're going to spread it around, but it goes back to what it said in the offseason that everybody expects and projects Patrick Mahomes. He's going to throw over 4,000 yards. Travis Kills, he's going to get his 1,200. The conversation was like, okay, where are the other 2,800 yards coming from? Right. Because all of you just do the simple math. And then look at the numbers of Marquez Valdez-Scantling's best season ever was 690 yards receiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he had 687 last year. The most targets last year at 81, most receptions at 42, which I still don't think is a great number there. You have 81 targets and only 42 receptions, which kind of goes to the some stuff that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. But you're asking all of these guys to have 20, 30% more production than they've ever had. It was just asking a lot at that point. And... The only thing they can do now is to continue to bet on themselves the way that they did in the offseason, saying, we're going to set our price for Odell, we're going to set our price for DeAndre, somebody else going to pay more, they're going to go do that, we're not going to, quote, overpay for the price that we have set, mm-hmm. we trust our young guys, and we trust this coaching staff to develop them, the coaches to put them in the right position. This is kind of the, hey, we got to see it now, you know, it's been half a season and it quite hasn't clicked the way that we've expected it to, and it's been frustrating to watch, and to your point, yes, they're still six and two, and there's a faction of fan base saying, "Why are you guys complaining? You know, they're six and two. They're still really good. You're making it sound like they're bad." Difference is because we know how much better they are than what they're playing. Mm-hmm. Like we know that they can do this. We've seen it before, right? Then it's starting to turn into, "Well, where does the criticism to Patrick Mahomes come?" Right? Like, where it, it's everybody, but we've seen enough from Patrick Mahomes to know what it looks like when he trusts guys and those guys who go out and make plays, and that's not happening. Yep. Yep. Maybe it makes him a little bit more mortal maybe uh maybe we won't just uh get to pencil in that the chiefs are going to be world champions which i don't know if your listeners like but you know people on my side of things maybe get a little bit more entertainment out of it but uh, i i i think that yeah when you look at the chiefs it, it 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 does feel a little bit like this year the chips are on the table maybe right like i asked you that question were you surprised they didn't make a deal at the deadline i never really thought the chiefs were going to make a deal at the deadline i thought they were going to make more of a splash in the wide receiver market this offseason. Yeah. But once the season kind of started, I, I, I'm kind of with you. They've spent the money in free agency or they spent the cap to, to, to have a little bit more in that wide receiver room. They make a move and they trade a draft pick for Mikal Hardman. It's almost like, hey, th- this, is, this is the hand that we were dealt this season. Our bet is on the table right now. And we're we're kind of like our cards are on the table right now. So that feels like where it's at and they just got to play better. Yeah, it could be similar to the way that we've described and um, see if you can follow my thought process here. But we talk about Steve Spagnuolo's defenses, like never judge a Steve Spagnuolo defense before Halloween. That was always a thing. The first few weeks, he's always just throwing a lot of stuff at them, seeing what they're good at. And then they're always much better down the stretch. That's going back to when he was head coach of the St. Louis Rams. It's been a thing for him. And he's even talked about it. Uh, Maybe it's something similar with the offense. With Andy Reid and a bunch of young receivers, they've been trying a lot of things, doing all the, trying to run the offense the way that they've done it before. And if it at some point, Andy Reid will pivot and just change what they're doing and be more specific to game plan in a different kind of way. And I think that there's a lot that could be about that. I don't think Andy Reid is going to keep banging his head against the wall if things continue to not work. Mm-hmm. But as they're 6-2 and two and as they're continuing to win and develop... He's going to try to bring him along, but at some point he's going to pivot. And he's obviously smart. He's one of the best offensive coaches in NFL history. Uh, he'll have an answer for what they're doing. I just at what point do we see that kind of pivot with what they're doing? Yeah, as a concession of okay, they're not going to get to where we want, but we still have talent. We still have Patrick Mahomes. We can still figure out a way to move the ball and be successful. Right. 
No, it makes sense. It makes sense. You know, I, I think a, a lot of people don't realize how much the NFL season is full of seasons, I guess, like for lack of a better word, right? Like it, it's just everyone has the ups and downs. It's it's a roller coaster and it is all about hitting your stride in the middle of December. That's what it is. Yeah. Hit, it, hit your stride in the middle. Now, you don't want to be catastrophic before that because you want to make the playoffs, but like you want to be in a position where you're making the playoffs in the last three games of this, the regular season, you're playing the best ball that you played all year. And that's that is truly what matters most about all this. All right, Trevor, now I'm going to put you on the hot spot. You know what I'm going to... What I'm going to ask, uh-huh. what do you think is going to happen? And I'll, I'll help you out here in case you're nervous here on this dominant Chiefs channel. Uh, number one Chiefs podcast network out there. Wow. Just wow. out there. Just just, just at I, on the pregame show that I do with the local radio, I did predict the Dolphins to win this game. I said, I think it's going to be 24-17. I believe that Andy Reid is not going to unload everything here in the middle of the season uh, against a team that you may face again. And I believe that this Chiefs wide receiver group, this offensive group, as I was just mentioning, whether it doesn't happen this week or six weeks from now, at some point they will pivot to things that they will be able to find enough success with. The defense will keep them in it. But I do think the Dolphins are going to win this one. I predicted 24-17 was my prediction for this game. Now they're giving you a little chance to think about it and uh, maybe soften the blow for Chiefs fans that are going to be really mad and angry and commenting. (laughs) potentially pick the Dolphins. Is is Mahomes all good? Like, I know he's going, like, through, through, like, a flu thing last week, right? Like, is he he good to go? Is he fine? Andy Reid said he's over it, so. Okay. In a press conference. Well, he's over it? Like, he's gonna, like, he's gonna trade him? Like, that's it? Like, he's, like, he's over it? (laughs) Cigar commercials, it's a pension. I, uh, I also, I think the Dolphins are gonna win this. Um, London games are always just so tough because it's, it's not just like a college football neutral site game. It's just something totally different. The travel, the time zone, the the there's there's just so much that goes into it. But I do think this game is going to be pretty close. I initially, when you asked me that question, my first thought went to 31 to 27 Dolphins win. But I think I, the points. I, I was going to say, I'll probably settle on 27, 24. I still think these are two really potent offenses. So I think we're getting something round 20s for both teams. So I'll go 27-24. I think the Dolphins are going to win. Yeah, they're, every time this has happened, the, the Chiefs have been in this situation, and not necessarily because the Dolphins' defense isn't like these other two examples I'm going to bring up, but every time I felt like, man, the Chiefs are not going to win this game, it was like last year against the Niners when they went on the road. I'm like, oh, they're str- the offense was struggling. They lost to the Colts a couple weeks earlier. They went out and dominated. Mm-hmm. and gave Nick Bosa like the most frustrating game of his career. Mm-hmm. And then it was the year before against the Bucks in the regular season where it was like, oh, they're struggling. They went down and they played really, really well. Was uh, that the two was that the two hundred yard Tyree Kill game? The like two hundred yards in one quarter game? Or was that I different? think so. It was the one where he did the crazy spin and threw the touchdown along the sidelines. Pro then probably. Probably. Yeah. That was good. I could just tell you from the other side of the coin, being from Tampa, having a big Tampa following. That one, up. that one was oh boy. You want to talk about the fan base going nuclear, thinking that they were going in the right direction with Brady and everything, and then losing by that kind of score. That was yeah, that was rough. Yeah, I'm gonna to try to look it up real quick. Right, I think it was. I think that was just because there. It was like it was. If Patrick Mahomes only threw with his left hand, it felt like they were going to beat the Bucks by 20 points that game. Like that's just 
that is how it felt if I'm remembering that game correctly. So I feel as though that's, uh, that was it. I can't find it here real quick, but I remember there was just, those are the two times I remember thinking going in, like, I don't like their chances. I don't like how this is set up. And then they went out and played well. So I, I kind of feel similar with Miami, uh, but we'll see how it plays out. It, maybe Travis Kelsey has one of those, like, we're not losing this game. Sure. They lean on the running game. We're, right. All this stuff. We're, best chance for the Chiefs is this synthetic part real grass, part turf field is really slippery because apparently some players that had played um, over there before had complained about the surface being slick mm -hmm. and falling down. Maybe take some of that athleticism away. You know, like oh, high, sure. school, right. high school games where like on Friday night, all of a sudden like a field's flooded and it hasn't rained in like two weeks. And yeah. It shows up. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, we're the fastest team in the state and somehow there's water puddles everywhere. Water guys, like, I had no idea what happened. So they need it. They got to flood the stadium. The turf guy's like, I don't know what happened. No, that's a, that's a, that's a, that, that, that's a, we'll leave that for Michigan football. Wait, sorry, 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 sorry. That's not, let's. I need a, a 30 for 30 like next week on the Michigan sign stealing and the, <laughs> the pictures of the guy in central Michigan on the sideline. Like I need, I couldn't it, want to know more about this than I do. Right. Somebody now. said to me many years ago that the sport of football is the greatest reality television show of all time. And every single year, it, it it lives up to that hype, man. I mean, only in this dumb, incredible sport can you have year after year things happen where you go, there's no way. And it's just every every single year it happens. Football, it's just, you can't look away. You can't turn off the TV. You're binging it every second that you can. Yeah, I, I said it with like college basketball before about like people being surprised that there's cheating. And I'm like, these coaches are getting multi-million dollar deals oh, based right. on the talent that needs to come out of an 18-year-old kid who's getting nothing. And right. so, same argument for football. It's like these coaches are getting multi-million dollar a year deals to win football games. Do we really think that they won't go outside the lines, putting people on sidelines, stealing signs, all this to try and win football games? Because if they don't win, if, they, if everybody's cheating, and I'm not saying they are, but just for the sake of the argument, everybody's doing it and you don't. You're going to put yourself back, and then you're ch that's affecting your family, your ability to provide with the profession that you've chosen. Generational wealth, too. You know, like you're you're that we talk about. Oh, the margin for error in the game of football is so small. If you don't take every advantage that you possibly can without getting caught to put the margin favorably on your side, sometimes yeah. that's the difference between you having generational wealth for your family or not. See, it's going to come out, and I apologize if any De La Salle fans out there are listening, but it comes out that like De La Salle had been stealing signs for 10 years, and that's why they never lost a high school football game out in California oh. for so long. Like, that, those are the types of things where like nothing's going to surprise me at this point. Maybe not high school, but who knows with contracts either. Greatest reality TV show of all time, man. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, that's a whole different conversation. That's, an, that's a June podcast. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So, Trevor, man, we appreciate it. Your time. We appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, we'll have five things to watch uh, coming up as well. Uh, another podcast you can listen to as a game preview going into the Sunday game. 8.30 kickoff here at Central Standard Time uh, between the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Trevor Man, we appreciate it. Make sure you check out his stuff, especially as we get close to the NFL draft. But you can also check out his podcast, the NFL Stock Exchange, um, at Pro Football Focus alongside Connor Rogers. Man, Trevor, always a, always a pleasure. Appreciate you having me on as always, BJ. All right, we'll see you guys. Thanks for listening.
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 